several years ago I was uh, on vacation and we have had problems at our house through the years with water. I could give you three or four examples of water leaks that we have had. And uh, that had all happened prior to this particular vacation that we were on. I had gone on vacation and on that particular instance, because of all of our other problems, we'd always turned the water off out of the meter before we would leave town. Because I'd come home so many times and had water pouring through my ceilings downstairs. Uh, We went on vacation and I told Dad to go by and check the house while we were gone. He just lives over the hill. I said, jokingly, just in case we have a flood, I want you to catch it before it gets too bad. I kid you not, about Tuesday of my vacation, he calls me, John, I'm in the garage. You got water all over the garage. I thought he was kidding no, sure enough, water line had backed up while we were gone and uh, something had happened, I think, in the laundry. I don't remember, and it had come out the door. He said, what do you want me to do? I said, go turn the water off and mop it up. <laughs> I say that just to say he's been mopping up <laughs> messes that I've made for 42 years. I thank God for a man that has done that. Because I sure have made some messes. Somebody's always been there to mop them up. And I thank the Lord for that. Go with me to Psalm chapter 20, if you would. Your copy of God's Word. I mean it from the bottom of my heart when I say how thrilled and honored I am to be here this morning. To be able to uh, stand in this place that has been used of God so mightily through the years. I appreciate uh, our moderator, Brother Bud. And, uh, Brother Wayne, I appreciate you guys allowing me to be here today and the opportunity to be able to preach with Dad. That is a privilege. We've had that privilege a couple of times and, and uh, it's always such an honor and we, we really do appreciate that. I know I speak for him when I say that. We really do appreciate that thankful and thankful so much for the, for the opportunity um, to, uh, to do that. Father, we come before you this morning in Jesus' name. Lord, we do plead the precious blood of our Savior. Lord, with the events that we have been experiencing over the past couple of days, I honestly do not know why I'm standing here right now. Lord, you know the past couple of days I've struggled with that. In this group of preachers, that are accessible to Dalton, Georgia tonight, today. I don't understand why you've ordained this morning and allowed it to be. Lord, I feel inadequate every time that I am given the opportunity to stand to preach to our people Lord, in an unusual way, I feel that way today to this group. Knowing that there are heavy hearts for the things that we are seeing manipulated even in our nation at this very hour. I've never known a burden than that which we've carried over the past several years, particularly right now. So Lord, I yield myself to Thee, asking You to do something beyond unusual today, to encourage men that are going to have to go and stand and preach Sunday, 
Lord, to hurting people. I believe that I am on solid ground when I say that this pastor would agree that I pray you do something in this place, in this very spot today, Lord, that you've never done before because we are in a situation we've never been in before. And Lord, the move of God from last week we may have experienced, Lord, was great. We need something fresh. But I'm thankful, Lord, that your mercies are new every day. And every day I wake up, I can be reminded that great is thy faithfulness. Show yourself faithful to us one more time. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you found your place in Psalm chapter 20, join me and rise to your feet. Thankful for all of you being here today. Glad my wife is here. Appreciate Melissa being here. She's right back there. If you've never met her, I'm thankful for that. I want to read one verse of Scripture. I want to be as quick as I can so uh, the cleaning up can begin. But I want to read one verse of Scripture from Psalm chapter 20. Then I want to go back and pull the chapter together in its entirety. Give me your attention, if you would, to verse number 7. You'll recognize it. The Bible here declares to us, Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But I want you to listen. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. It has been said by so many, and I'm sure we would all agree, that the Word of God speaks to every major issue that we will ever face in this life. Psalm chapter 20 is just one more example of that wonderful truth. This is a remarkable chapter in the Word of God, and it speaks directly to the need of God's people in America as we are right now with regard to to our government and what's going on. I want to speak to you this morning for a little while on what I'm calling we the people. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Many of you will recognize the words of the preamble of the Constitution of the United States. We the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. The very first words of the preamble command our attention this morning, I believe. We, the people. You see, ladies and gentlemen, in America... The people have a great deal of power in the governmental decisions of our land. And I believe our founding fathers based so much of that upon the authority of the Word of God. To those who may be out there in your circle or anywhere that it may be who may say that the church of God or the people of God have no place to speak to or be involved in governmental matters of our nation. I would encourage you greatly to study in depth the words of Psalm chapter 20 and the context of it in its entirety. For it is here that we are given a biblical example as to how not only the people of God and the church of God not only have a right to be involved in it and to speak out on it, but yea, we even have a responsibility to do so, to not only be involved, but influential in the government matters of the United States. But understand always, it must be done in an appropriate way. The context and the clock of Psalm chapter 20 has the nation of Israel in this ancient culture under the leadership of King David. They are facing the uncertainty of war. They are in a period in time right now where they are making all the necessary preparation that they need to make as they are beginning to face the uncertainty of this war. Now all through the history of the Jews, we all know that there were national conflicts and national crisis all through their history. We, we all know that. However, we are not entirely certain about what this particular one is, although we can know that it was likely one that was uh, a very uh, uh, well-known conflict that is given to us somewhere on the pages of the Old Testament Scripture. 
King David and his entire nation, they knew very well that they were facing an abundance of uncertain days and a crisis that was laid out before them. And everybody ought to be able to tell when your nation is in that kind of condition. And we can appropriately apply these principles for Psalm chapter 20 in the crisis that Israel was in to the principles that we need to have in our hearts this morning to the crisis that America is in. Israel was in a crisis, and listen closely to me. If you have not already nailed this down in your heart, we need to understand that America is in a crisis on November the 5th, 2020, as we gather in this place today. There are some wonderful truths that we can all learn from this particular chapter in the Word of God that will help us as we face this crisis. And if you'll help me a little while, develop these things in our minds. And I believe that if they'll get in our hearts, it'll help us when we walk out of this building today to realize that God is still on the throne of everything that is going on in our world. Psalm chapter 20 is really divided into two separate divisions. And it has several principles that are given in each division. And I want to share two. I'm going to violate every homiletic rule that you can possibly write right now. But thank the Lord we're not bound or married to all of that, are we? But I want to share two thoughts with you today. The first one is going to be from the people, we the people, addressing their leader. They are addressing their king. There are several principles we'll consider with that. But the second is going to be the king's response to the demands that the people have just placed on he, the leader. Notice carefully these things with me. The first one I want you to notice is the accountability of leadership. And that's very true. There is accountability that we must have to our leadership. We see it right here in Psalm chapter 20, for it's in the first fifth, five, verses 1 through 5, that we find the people... The people of Israel, they are making a plea really to their king. And I'll, I'll even call it demands. They are making demands to their leaders. And they are letting their leader, King David, know and understand what their expectations are when it comes to his leadership as they are facing this imminent crisis of their nation. Now listen closely. National crises are not new things. They have been in existence from the very foundation and establishments of nations. So what does that tell us? It tells us that it is not the crisis that defines the nation, but it is the approach and it is the handling of the crisis that will define the nation. And so much of that is determined by you and I. It is determined by we, the people of God, in America today. Israel had some expectations for their leaders, for their kings. Bottom line is they were holding his feet to the fire on some issues. They were holding him accountable to some things. Thomas Paine said it this way, a body of men holding themselves accountable to nobody ought not be trusted by anybody. And I agree that entirely. We're seeing a group of people right now in America who think they do not have to be held accountable to anybody whatsoever. And it's time for God's people and the American people to stand up and say, no, no, you are held accountable to us. And better than that, greater than that, you are held accountable to God. In the first five verses, I see five practical truths that the people of God Israel was holding their king accountable too. I want you to notice how it all started with a humble prayer. That's where it's always got to start, a humble prayer. You look in verse number one with me. The Bible declares, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. They are acknowledging here that they are in a day of trouble. When we find ourselves in a time of trouble and in a, a day of trouble, that's when we want to hear from the Lord. That's when we want the Lord to hear from us. And isn't it remarkable how religious some of us get when we find ourselves in a time of trouble? How spiritually minded that we may become when we get in a time of trouble? So oftentimes we get so carnal, cold, and complacent that when things are going good, things are going all right in life, we just simply get the idea, I can make it, I don't need God. But when we find ourselves in a time of trouble, it seems suddenly that we want God in our lives all of a sudden. I believe four years ago we saw God move in this nation in a miraculous way that I I've not seen in my lifetime. I, I believe that. 
And I've rejoiced in that, and I know you have as well. But over these past four years, there's no doubt we've gotten a little complacent, have we not? Matter of fact, many of us didn't really start praying for the past four years. We started praying about four weeks ago for this situation that we were faced in. We, anticipated, we, we exercised a greater effort in this prayer matter over the past few days as well. We saw God do something a few years ago, something I've not ever seen in my lifetime. And I saw the Lord move on to a nation in that time. But it's no doubt we as God's people have gotten a little bit complacent. Folks, the number one priority of God's people is in holding our nation, our government accountable. It is done in prayer. We need to be a people who call out to God. I tell you, I called a prayer service at the church Monday night before the election. We've been praying constantly, had a group of people show up and pray. But I tell you, as the events were unfolding yesterday and throughout the night, Tuesday night, sent out a message. We put it on our Facebook page. I said, we're going to cancel our youth activity tonight, our teen service. We're going to cancel our children's gatherings tonight. We're calling the church of God to prayer the only hope that we've got of getting ourselves pulled out of this mess is when people just like you and just like me throw out our dignity, get off our spiritual pedestals, get down on our faces before God and beg God to interfere, intervene in the situation of our nation. The very first step to seeing that happen, it is done in prayer. You've been praying for your leaders? All of them? Then praying for Nancy Pelosi. If nothing else, that they'll get saved. Been praying for the president, the vice president. Been praying for the governors. A patriotic American is a praying American. God help us get a hold of God and learn that is our only hope that we will ever have the people here. They are telling their leader, their king, we're having a humble prayer. Then they started giving their demands and they say we demand that you acknowledge a higher power. Look at verse number one. The Bible says the name of the God of Jacob defend thee. A higher power. It is here that the people begin placing their demands, their spiritual expectations upon their leaders about how they expect their leaders to move forward in an approach and in a time of crisis. The people are saying, listen, we totally accept the fact that you occupy the palace. We accept the fact that you have the power of the military, the power of the purse, the power of the strategy, and you have the rule over us as we are. We accept all of that, but we absolutely will not accept you not being a spiritual man and acknowledging the very God of Jacob as your only hope to be able to bring us through this crisis of our day. They were asking him, do you believe in a higher power, the only power that is going to be able to bring this through this intimidating mess that we are faced with now? So interesting to me. It's intriguing really. How that the psalmist here invokes only the name Jacob. Did you notice that? He doesn't refer to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or the God of Abraham, he gives the name Jacob. That's very interesting to me. Because especially in his early years, we would all agree, Jacob was not exactly the greatest picture of godliness. Jacob was nothing more than a liar. Nothing more than a cheat. A scoundrel. Nothing more than a tricker. In the middle of all that, God still confronted him. God still crippled him. God still consecrated him. And God still commissioned him to go out and do something great. Jacob would have been among the last, it would have appeared to us, that God would have ever taken and God would have ever used. But God saw something in this man Jacob that maybe nobody else ever had the ability to see. And God touched him and God used him to give the world a boy by the name of Joseph. By the way, a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. And Joseph went on and he stepped onto the stage of history and God used him to literally save the world. Israel, ladies and gentlemen, they were not expecting perfection out of their leaders. They were just expecting them to acknowledge the living God. 
They weren't expecting somebody to have all the answers. Just say that you acknowledge the higher power is the God of Jacob, the God of heaven. Several weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago perhaps, I was watching the president speak in Greenville, North Carolina. North Carolina. Perhaps you saw it. I'd flipped the TV on and and the timing of it was, was interesting. I, I, didn't, I didn't plan it this way, but the timing of it was interesting. And, and the president was speaking about the virus. And he was talking about how precautions are put in place. And it's great to have the precautions in place. And we ought to abide by them. But he said, at the end of the day, ultimately, the only thing that is going to save you from getting this virus is the boss. Pointing his finger toward the heavens. And then, and then he began to talk about a man who had recently come up to him and said to him, he said, you're the most famous person in the world, to which the president replied and said, oh, no, 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 no. I am far less famous than Jesus Christ, and we must keep him first. There are a lot of things about Donald Trump that I don't like. I'm not comfortable with. I don't believe a right in the slightest way, but there's one thing that we can't argue. He has been a friend to the church of God, a friend to the people of God. He has not hurt us one bit. He has helped us and he has stood on principles of life, principles of godliness in certain aspects of our way in those moments right there. He was acknowledging a higher power. I sat in my office with my TV on and I tell you, tears began to swell up in my eyes because I knew regardless of what the next couple weeks held as we are in this season right now, regardless of what they have, somehow God was going to have to honor that. I don't know how, but somehow God was going to have to honor that because he acknowledged there was a higher power. You see, God can use a liar. God can use a cheat, a scoundrel, a tricker, especially in his earlier years, he can put him on the world stage for the purpose of saving a nation and saving the entire world. People were saying, oh king, we are praying for you. And then they said, but listen, if you want our support, you are going to have to acknowledge a higher power. But notice also what they said. They said, if you'll just do that, there'll be a helpful presence that will come into your existence. Verse number two, you see it with me, please. Send thee help, I like this, from the sanctuary. And strengthen thee out of Zion. The sanctuary is not necessarily what we would refer today, you know, a building just like this we are in. That's not exactly what he is referring to. When he uses this word sanctuary, it is actually speaking of a sacred congregation, a sacred consecrated place or a holy place that has been set aside in their society for the reverence of the living God. Zion is referring to the military stronghold set way up on high the city overlooking Jerusalem, it's interesting to me how they said that help was going to come from the sanctuary before help was going to come from the military. They said, you're going to get God and you're going to survive this conflict that's on its way. We're going to have to have the help of God in the sanctuary and when we get the help from the sanctuary, then the military will be used to be able to bring victory in our life. And we the people were simply saying, hey, if you just do what's right, God's going to step in and God's going to honor every effort. It all goes back to the house of God. It all goes back to the people of God, the sanctuary, the place that has been set aside that God would be honored in. There is absolutely nothing at all wrong with we the people holding our leaders accountable and making them have a public declaration. Go upon public record as saying that they are not going to have any confidence at all in all of their economic advisors. They're not going to trust the Joint Chiefs. They are not primarily going to depend on their military might or all of the scientists that are out there or the Electoral College or any of those other things that are out there, but they expected their leader to trust in God and that the help of God would come from the sanctuary. Wouldn't it be great if the sanctuary... The house of God would just get right with God. The best thing we could ever do is throw out all of our traditions, throw out all of this junk that we've gotten so hung up into, fall down on our faces in broken repentance and say, Dear God, 
Get us back to a day when the sanctuary has that much influence in a society as it did right here in Israel's day. The church meant something. The sanctuary meant something in that day. How we could develop that, time will not permit. They said, we're praying for you. There was a humble prayer. There was then, they said, you must have a higher power. When you do, there'll be a helpful presence. God's going to step in and help you. But oh, by the way, King, we want you to have a holy profession as well. Look at it, a holy profession, verse number three. Look at this word, remember. Hold on to that. Stick it in your back pocket, please. Remember all thy offerings and accept, accept thy burnt sacrifice. Look at the word selah. We know what it means, don't we? He said, I just said something profound. Stop and think about it. Stop and meditate on it. That's what he's telling us right here. Look at verse number four. He goes on to say, Grant thee according to thine own heart. If God granted the true desire of our heart, would we be in a mess or what? That's how corrupt our hearts are. And they're saying, hey, expose your heart to the people. Open your heart up for who you really are. Grant you that desire and fulfill all thy counsel. In their time of crisis, the people were demanding that their leader would not have a false hypocritical profession. That it was not a bunch of empty promises of spiritual things. Because those people knew, as verse number 4 says, those people knew that God, the living God, the only help they would ever have, could see straight through the facade. We got leaders on our stage in America today that honestly thinks God is stupid. I'm not suggesting he is. You understand that. But there are leaders on our stage that think God is incompetent. And they're just going to run under the radar of a righteous and a holy God. God's never going to catch them. They're going to get away with their power-hungry grab that they're trying to get. They're just going to run right on under. To understand this, the people are the ones that suffer in a nation from the bad decisions that their leaders make. Ultimately, they will be judged. We understand. But the people will suffer from these decisions that, uh, that they make. And that is reason enough for you and I to hold them as accountable as we possibly can to do what is right. They are saying, remember. Remember all of those religious commitments that you had made in the past, old king. Do you see that word, remember? Think back. Think back to a day you made some of these religious commitments and be aware of the fact that your spiritual condition of your heart is going to be revealed in the outcome of the conflict that we are facing. We're either going up or we're going down based on the heart that you have and the true belief you have in the living God. He's saying don't be politically correct. Don't acknowledge that there is a God out there. Don't be all-inclusive about any God, but take a stand on something. Take a position on something and say that I refute that there is any other God other than the God of Jacob, the living God of heaven. There is no God of Islam. There is no God of any other nation. I am confessing that I am depending on the God of heaven and my profession is true in this. It's not enough for a leader. They just simply profess it, but they've got to prove it. Prove it. Otherwise, they should not be honored with the attention of us as the people of God in their support. Prove the fact. They believe in the living God and they profess Him and it is true. People were saying, I'm praying for you, O King. There's a, 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 a humble prayer and they're saying, hey, there's got to be a higher power that you acknowledge. There'll be a helpful presence that come in. We want you to have a holy profession. And when you do, we will accept you in this honorable position. An honorable position. Look now at verse number five. We will rejoice in thy salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banner. Underscore those words, we will set up our banner. The word banner here is speaking of the standard bearer among 10,000. In these ancient days of this Jewish culture, 
one of the ways that the leader would uh, try to motivate his people. One of the ways that the leader would try uh, to prepare his people for the conflict, the war, the crisis that they were facing, it would be done in this massive assembly, a pep rally of sorts, we can call it, a rally of some type. It would be in this massive assembly that would be out there, and it would be in this time that the king would be standing up on his ledge, and they would drop down a great banner before. It would be a declaration of war of such to prepare the people for what was going on. But did you see what happened there? This was the people talking to the king. The king had not yet lowered the banner. But the people were saying, if you'll just honor God, we know that God's going to honor you. And so therefore, you don't have to lower the banner. We ourselves are going to roll out a banner. They're saying right here that if you will honor God, we will honor your leadership. We will follow your leadership through the crisis. But if you do not honor God... We will not honor you, and we will scatter from your leadership. It's evident back in this context of Psalm chapter 20. This was a group of people that had a little bit of God about them. It probably wasn't the entire nation, certainly not. There were a few out there. There was a group out there, maybe even a majority that was out there. I don't know that did not agree with what this group was saying, but there was a remnant that was holding their leader accountable and they were saying, this is the way we're going to go and we are requiring that you fall into place with us, oh king. Listen to me, don't you ever let somebody come up to you. Don't you ever let somebody in this world come up to you. Somebody, some carnal church member whose tongue's been lit on fire from hell itself come up to you and tell you that you got no right, you got no business talking about political things, governmental things in the church and among the people of God. And when they do, you challenge them and tell them to go study Psalm chapter 20 because we as God's people have it upon the authority of God's holy, infallible, inspired and errant word. We have a position that we can take on this. The people were saying to the leader, no. This is what we're doing, and this is what we demand. The accountability of leadership. The sustainability of lordship. The sustainability of lordship. It's been truly remarkable to study what the people have said to the king. But it's even greater, I believe, to hear what the king said to the people. In the, this experience that we've just had right here, verses 1 through 5, we find the people telling their leader, telling the king, that they have some expectations. They're holding them accountable. They're using words like thee, thy, we, saying this is us talking to you. But when we come into verse number 6, we see the tone change entirely. Why? We start seeing words like I. The king is responding here to the people. In this final division, there are three particular ways that I see the king has responded to the people. The leader is talking to the people about this matter of lordship that he has, and in his leadership, they also are going to have. We see it, first of all, that the king gives them a comforting truth. A comforting truth. Verse number 6 tells us, Now know I, the king says, Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. God's not done with us, he's saying. Did you hear me? God's not done with us. God was done with us. We'd be shouting on the other side right now. I woke up this morning. The sun came up again. There's a blue sky outside. There's a sinner that needs a Savior. And by God's grace, I'm going to press on for His glory no matter what happens out here in this world. He said, the Lord saveth His anointing. David said, hey folks, we're on the same page. I'm on board, and I totally agree with all of the demands that you are placing upon me as your leader. I'm going to submit my leadership to the lordship of the living God. Look at it develop further in verse number 6. He will hear him from his holy heavens. With the saving strength of his right hand, the king is acknowledging who, who God is. The leader right here, the king, he is saying, dear people, be assured of the fact 
Be comforted in this truth right now that God is not only going to be hearing from you, but God is going to be hearing from me about this exact same situation in our crisis that you are so evidently burdened about. What did the people do? They looked to their leader. Their leader looked to the Lord. And friends, whenever you have a spiritual teamwork like that, you can rest assured everything is going to be all right. You cannot fail with spiritual teamwork like that. See, they were not divided. They, they were not in competition together. They weren't having departmental turf wars. They were saying, absolutely not. We are unifying, unifying ourselves together in the common cause of the work of God. A divided nation will not stand. A divided nation will not succeed. We're hearing a lot about division in America today. Understandably so. We're divided in every category you can imagine. I'm not going to name them. You just name every category. We're divided in it. Totally divided. And there is a group of people that is out there right now as we speak. The pundits on the news, and they, they are saying, listen, as, as moving into this election, they were saying, listen, maybe we just ought to give in. Give in on some of these things that are going on that are just, just outright wrong in our nation. Morally, biblically, ethically wrong in our nation. Let's just give in so we can get back to normal. Let's just get in so we can all be unified together. Hear me carefully and closely, please. And may we learn this and get this in our heart. I would far rather be divided in truth than united in error. Far rather be divided in truth than united in error. What we are seeing in America today, it is absolutely wrong. And by God's help and by His grace, I have made a decision in the private moments of my life that I am not going to bend, bow, or borrow from what the Word of God says is absolutely right. The word saveth, you'll notice in the verse, is used in the past tense. This blesses my heart. The king is telling his people, saveth. Used in the past tense. He is comforting his people by letting them know that the war has already been won before the first shot was ever fired. Before the first sword was ever drawn. The first spear was ever thrown. The first arrow was ever shot. God had already given the victory to his people before the banner ceremony was ever given before the deployment of the troops, before the engagement of the battle. All of that was just uh, formalities. That's all it was. The war was won the very moment that the people and the leader came together and acknowledged that God was their only hope. He was going to be the only one that was going to bring them through the mess, the imminent threat that they were faced with. They acknowledged this in the very beginning. May we learn that our wars of tomorrow are won by our actions of today. Some of the very defeats that you and I are facing in our own personal lives today no doubt can be blamed on nothing or no one other than ourselves because of bad decisions we've made somewhere in our yesterday. Oh, oh the battles, oh the battles God would let us win in our hearts, our homes, and in our houses of worship if we would just simply throw everything out the window and say we're going with God, we're going to honor God, it doesn't matter what it costs us, we're not going to bow to anything that God does not sanction in its entirety. They are saying right here to their leader, and the leader is responding, and the leader is proving that he is relying on the Lordship of God. He is giving his people a comforting truth. But then, he, then he tells them that my heart is blessed right now. Then he tells them also that there's a complete trust. Brings us back to our text. We've studied this chapter in depth. We understand now what exactly is going on. There's a complete trust. Look at verse number 7 that we started with. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. 
They're saying we're going to depend on God. David is saying all of our other enemies, they are out there and they are going to depend, they are going to trust on all of their man-made sources of defense and that's their choice. They can do whatever they want to, but we, you notice he said we right here. In other words, putting him and the people together along with God, they're saying we're not going to do that. We as the people of God, you can understand, I'm not going to rely on my economic advisors. I'm not going to rely on the joint chiefs. I'm not going to rely on all of our military might. I'm going to rely on God. We together are going to do it. There is a wonderful trust that we can have. It's a complete trust. Look at the word remember in verse number 7. The word remember, it just means recognize. He's saying we're going to recognize God. While all these others are out there worshiping a tree. All these others out there worshiping a cow. Worshiping a statue. Worshiping a man. We're going to worship God. We're going to remember the one who brought us to this land. We're going to remember the one who brought us out of Egypt's bondage, a picture of sin. Brought us safely through the wilderness and landed us in the land of promise. We're going to recognize him. We're going to remember he's the one that has done it all. 244 years ago, God gave us a nation. God birthed this place in revival. I'm not ready to give up on it yet. Until the Lord calls us home, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to keep praying for revival because there was a time when God did it in the past. The king was saying right here, he was making a public and a national declaration, we're going to trust in Jehovah God. Imagine the comfort that came across the people's hearts. The message that they were declaring the demands they were placing upon their leader was echoed back from the palace. Such, such a complete trust. Let's make it a little more personal to where you and I are in our lives right now. Whatever you're faced with in your life, and there's so many people here right now, we're sitting in this place and some of us are trembling on the inside because of what we're going to have to face today or tomorrow next week in our lives not even nationally you beat up you worn down frankly you're scared to death are you trusting God with all of your heart the way these folks were in our text saying God I'm just going to depend on you complete trust There was a girl that was on a train ride. She was unaccustomed to traveling by herself. She was returning home from a trip, a young child. And she was having to take her train route throughout the country, winding through the hills. Her heart was fearful every time that she would approach. She could see off in the distance. On the route they were on, there were bodies of water and there were rivers and lakes, that sort of thing. You understand? And she could see off in the distance as the turns were being done as a train and there was a great deal of, of, of fear. There was a great deal of doubt that came upon this little girl because she could not understand in her little mind how that train was going to get across that body of water. So every time that they would approach, her heart would just pound. She would scrunch up. She would get scared. But as they drew closer, there would be a bridge that appeared. And it would carry that little girl's train across that body of water. That trap that she saw was a threat to her life. Over and over, this experience was repeated. Many times over. But every time she approached that body of water on that train, there was a bridge that appeared. And finally, on the last time, as they approached that body of water, she just leaned back in her seat. A loud sigh of relief and comfort. And she said these words, Somebody has built a bridge for me to cross all the way home. Isn't that exactly how we are in our own lives sometimes though? We get so beat up and weighed down with all of this stuff. 
Sometimes the things that are going on in our life, they just seem so dark in our trials. The trap just seems like it's going to be so great. It's going to be so far and so difficult for us to get over. And I mean we are just overwhelmed with the stress and it's looming larger with every moment of our lives. But may we never forget there is a good God in heaven who has built a bridge for his people to cross all the way home. He's going to take care of us. He's going to meet the need all the way to the other side. Their leader right here, he, he gave them, his people, a, he gave them a comforting truth. He told them, you've got to just have a complete trust, believing entirely that that was going to bring a convincing triumph. A convincing triumph. Look in verse number 8. The king is speaking here. He said, they are brought down, talking about their enemies, they are brought down and fallen. This crisis, this war they were facing. Remember, all this is being declared, saveth prior to the conflict. He's saying they will be brought down. They, they will go down. But we, we are risen. Stand upright. Stand upright, he said. We're going we're to make it. That's the king telling his people, but the king... The king stopped his speech right there. Now, I don't know if the king stopped his speech because he was finished with the teleprompter. I don't know if he was done. That's all he had to say. Or I don't know. Part of me believes that right here in verse 9, the people interjected. People said, you don't have to say nothing else. You look at 9 with me. Save, Lord. Let the king hear us when we Call. Did you see it? That's the people telling the king right there. The conversation has shifted again, and the people are saying, literally here, God save the king because he is doing what's right. So as the king is finishing with his speech, whether he was done or not, the crowd erupted that was in the assembly below and they started shouting, they started crying out, they doubtless started clapping and they started screaming, God save the king. God save the king. God save the king because he's doing what is right. God save our leaders that are willing to do what is right. And on this day, if God only knows they've tried to do what's right. God save the leaders. God save the ones that are trying to do what's right. Victory was delivered in a triumphant fashion that day. And God honored His people and His King. Imagine the victories that our nation would experience. If the people to the king, the king to the people, all agreed together without compromise, we were going to honor God. No enemy on this planet would ever be able to threaten us. Because God always wins. Imagine what would happen in your family today. If you just agreed together, you're going to honor God no matter what. Imagine what would happen in your churches today, our churches, if we all just agreed together, people and pastor, that we're going to honor God no matter what. Why don't we do that? We have it on the authority of God's Word that God always, always wins. But yet we just don't trust it. God always is going to win. There were some seminary students that were playing basketball every night while they were in seminary, but they had to go to a public school to, uh, to do it because their seminary, their property, it did, not, it did not have a gymnasium. So they would go to a public school to do it, and every night there was this elderly, this older janitor who would politely wait for the seminary students to finish. And as he would wait, you know what he would do, preacher? He would have his Bible out. He would be reading his Bible, sitting in a chair waiting politely. Well, one day after several, several nights of this happening, one of these seminary students who had it all figured out, 
walked by this old man who had his Bible out. Walked by his old, this old man that had his Bible out. Not him. Snarly said, what you reading? The old janitor looked up at him and said, I'm reading the book of Revelation. The man kind of chuckled. He said, uh, do you understand it? old janitor looked up at him and said, oh yes, sir, I understand it. Once again, he snarled a bit and he said, what's it mean? Thinking he had him trapped. To which that old no-name, low-pay, uneducated janitor looked up at him and replied, it means Jesus is going to win. Yeah. It means Jesus is going to win. The best commentary that could ever be written on the Revelation or on Psalm chapter 20 or the entire Bible is simply that Jesus is going to win. It doesn't matter. Jesus is going to win. Your doctor may have given you no hope whatsoever. He said you're done. But I tell you what, when the dust settles, Jesus is going to win. Your family and friends, they may have written you off because you're trying your best to serve God and to honor God and they've disowned you. But when the dust settles, Jesus is going to win. Oh, you may be spiraling out of control with your depression heading down into that point right now. You don't know what's going to happen, but I tell you what, the dust settles, Jesus is going to win. Our nation may be facing an unprecedented crisis right now. We don't know what the coming days hold. We have no idea, but I'm listening for the trumpet. I'm looking for the sign because Jesus is going to win. When all of the dust settles in your life and in your church and in your family, you honor God. You make a decision as a leader. You make a decision as people that no matter what, when the dust settles of everything that is out there, Roger, Jesus, brother, is going to win. You can testify to that, can't you? How good God's been to us. No matter what's next, Jesus is going to win. I believe we ought to bless His name today. We don't know what's going to happen Friday. We don't know what's going to happen next week. We don't know what the future holds for our nation. But I can rest assured that I can drop my anchor on the fact He's going to win. He's got it all taken care of. And I got it on the authority of God's uh, Word. Pastor, our moderator's coming to do whatever you want to do right now. But I thank God for the fact that we, the people, have the control of these matters in our life. Jesus, folks, is going to win. God bless you.